TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Hello and welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. Marcus Pierce here with you for, I think, episode 419, that's 419 Not Out, and every single one of them, thankfully, gratefully, is with Australia's number one wellness expert. I speak of the great Dr. Damien Christoph. How are you, brother? Hello, mate. How are you, MP? It's, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm being surrounded by two very lucky people living in Byron Bay right now, I've got to tell you. Like, I'm smack bang in the middle. On my screen, I don't know about on your screen, but in my screen, I've got you on my left, MP, and Pam on my right, and I feel blessed. I want to be with you guys up in Byron Bay. Well, we will introduce the wonderful Pam Brook in a moment, but you might be the only person in Australia that wants to be in Byron Bay at the moment because, sadly, if anyone's on the mass media... Uh, no one wants to be in Byron because there's some drama going on, but we're not going to harp on that. All I'm going to say, Damo, nah, is that the one or it, two days... If the property prices down, I'll be up soon, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, um... If, it, if there's some Melbourne buyers, I'll come up there, don't worry. There you go. For your sake, um, we're hoping it just goes rampant and you might be up here <laughs> in no time. Um, I'm just seeing a big box of who gives a crap get delivered to our house. I hope they just drop it at the door. I hope it's a don't need a signature delivery uh, before mm. they drop. It's very important. But times like this in Byron, Damo, toilet paper is very, very important. You're off the shelves. Absolutely. Our very special guest today is Pam Brook, the co-founder of Brook Farm, a family business based in Byron Bay, New South Wales. Together with her husband, Martin Brook, she has transformed a run-down, weed-infested dairy farm into a spectacularly beautiful patch of land that follows regenerative farming practices and produces premium, nationally recognised macadamia products. Pam is a great believer in a nutritionally balanced diet and a healthy, sustainable food chain in a previous career. Pam worked as a dentist just in my neck of the woods uh, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Today, Pam is the author of a new book called We Can All Eat That, which, Damo, a lot of the recipes were formulated by our dear friend Sammy Gowing. And this book is all about raising healthy, adventurous eaters and helping to prevent food allergies. Pam Brook, you've been very kind to join us on 100 Not Out. An official welcome to the podcast. Oh, Thank you so much. Lovely to be with you. Pam, congratulations on all the work that you've done. And to write a book is a big effort. Um, I know that. I still haven't written one. and But <laughs> I, uh, I know how hard it was to write my first transcript, which I threw out, by the way, because as I was writing it, everything changed for me. And obviously, there's lots of change. We'll talk about food allergies today. But I'm, I'm fascinated because I love Brook Farm. In fact, Brook Farm was my inspiration to create other muesli products that I brought to market many years ago. They were unsuccessful, although, you know, they probably were successful, but not, nowhere near as successful as Brook Farm. And I still eat Brook Farm today. Um, I love your products. But how did you get into making mueslis if you're a dentist? Because I get asked that question all the time because I'm a chiropractor. People go, how did you get into making mueslis if you're a chiropractor? How did you get into it making it if you're a dentist? Well, we had... Um when we bought the rundown dairy farm, then we planted it out with macadamia. So this was back in 89. We planted it out with macadamias and um, in the areas where it was too 
steeped plant macas, then we put in rainforest and eucalypt as well. Um, but then just after 89 came the recession that we had to have where interest rates went to 22% or 25%, and our plans to move to Byron Bay suddenly were kiboshed. So we had another 10 years in Melbourne before we could afford to move to Byron Bay. And it was really actually a good thing because in that time we had time to reflect on the macadamia industry and we realised that no one was value-adding to macadamias and here we were growing them but everyone was sending them overseas for other people to do clever things with. Or dipping them in chocolate and selling them. Dipping them in chocolate and roasting them. That was it really. They weren't sort of like part of a healthy diet. Mm -hmm. And um, so Martin and I put our heads together to think of all the things that we could come up with. And one of the things I grew up with in the family was about 15 different jars of different ingredients all around the kitchen that my father would um, uh, concoct his own muesli every morning and do a, a winter mix, a summer mix, all of this so then we came up with our own macadamia muesli uh, based around that. And we're actually, it's still our top seller today, the two original um, mueslis that we made. So uh, that was pretty special. Well done. That's the cranberry one, the one that's. Uh... Yeah, we do a natural with cranberry yeah. and uh, a toasted macadamia. And the toasted one, cranberry. yeah. Yeah. I'd better say. Uh, Pam, my wife doesn't want me to tell you this, and thankfully she doesn't listen to any of the podcasts. She gets sick to death of me enough. But uh, our next-door neighbour works at Brook Farm, and we are the beneficiaries of, what is it called, Damo and Pam, when the muesli that doesn't make the bag? Oh, I'm not sure. Sort of like the off-casts. Let's call it, yep. Anyway, we we get get, uh, some generous, we live on Brook Farm. And um, I never told Pam this because I didn't know if she wanted, if, if, if she might actually not like. <laughs> she might think, oh, hold on, maybe my staff are being too generous. But Pam, in all seriousness, um, I know you're very humble, but you've created an absolute food empire uh, in one of the mo- for one of the most wonderful causes. And I think an extension of that is what you've done with the new book because it's a massive cause and allergies have risen exponentially. But before we get into allergies and, and, and how the book came about, Damo knows your son, Will. I know your son, Will. Um, Will and I are a similar stage of life, young kids and the rest. You have, uh, I don't know if taking a step back is the right term um, at Brook Farm, but you're very heavily involved in, in still the um, development, recipe development side of things. But what was the catalyst for going, all right, I'm ready to take a step back and uh, for want of a better term, hand the reins over uh, to Will. I think generational change is always a fascinating conversation. I think, um, look, I'd been heading up Brook Farm with Martin for about oh, probably 18 years and Will had started literally um, on the production boom and worked his way up and he, there wasn't an aspect of Brook Farm that he didn't know really, really well. Yeah. And his skills were there. His skills were there and it was and there were so many other things that I was wanting to do and to get involved in. And it was it was just a natural step at the right time because he brought so many new and innovative ideas. And I think, you know, with hiring people, our philosophy over the years has always been always hire people that are cleverer than you. 
And when it came to Will being a CEO, I think we thought that he would be a better CEO than I was. And it was really time for him to step up and, you know, develop and take the business in new directions. And and that's what he's done. And look, like me, he'll make mistakes and things along the way, but you don't necessarily look at the mistakes as mistakes. They're learning opportunities, but he's got some really exciting projects going now. It was because of him that We The Mini, which is a, a climate change, um, a really active climate change brand that we've launched recently has, has come about. And so his initiative has been very exciting and, uh, yeah, really proud of him and and it's great. I don't have to go to work every day. I can work from home. <laughs> I can do all these other things on the side that people don't know about. <laughs> That's so, nice. um, no, it, it, it's it's a great thing. It's really been a great uh, family generational change. Mm. Not without its minor hiccups along the way. It's always hard to let go, but it's really important to learn to let go of some things too. That's great advice, and we'll come back to that because I'm pretty sure that will form some of your advice or observations around aging well. But I'd love to um, ask a little bit about allergies because obviously uh, if you're writing a book uh, titled We Can All Eat That, uh, then we're talking about foods that maybe people might feel intolerant, they might be intolerant to or they might be there might be allergies to. And obviously... There's a lot of allergies around, more now than ever before, I think, you know, whether it be FODMAP, whether it be gluten, whether it be um, nuts or whatever, you know, sesame, whatever it is. They're just allergies about everything else. So it, it, it's for me, I find it very interesting because you own a, a nut plantation, a tree nut plantation. It's macadamia nuts. Um, many people aren't allergic to macadamia nuts. But what have you noticed um, with the rise of allergies since creating Brook Farm, you know, over the last 20 years? Oh, gee, when we created Brook Farm, um, you know, back in um, November 2000, like it just wasn't a discussion point at, at a table. When you went into a restaurant, people didn't ask you about allergies because it was really low on the scale. So in the, last, in the last 20 years, there's been a great escalation, and it's not just Australia, it's worldwide, but Australia is one of the the, has one of the highest rates of childhood food allergies. So there's been big changes in the last 20 years, um, especially young children about between, they say between worldwide about between 4 and 8% of children have food allergies. Um, many will outgrow them, but there's an increasing number of children that particularly don't outgrow allergies like peanut or tree nut. And so it's, uh, it's really concerning. We need a lot more research into why it's on the rise. We know a certain number of things, but um, it's an area where research has been small compared to, you know, the volumes put into other medical issues. So it's, it's a really important area. Just, just on that, Pam, um, I know I said it in your introduction that your farm has um – invested heavily really in in having more regenerative farming practices. Charlie Arnott, who's a mutual friend of ours and he's been a guest on this podcast as well, um, obviously a real leader in this space. But from your own personal experience, having literally walked your land every day for 
you know, 20 odd years. I asked uh, you at your book launch, you know, why do you think we've got a lot more allergies today? And, and Sam Gowing, again, our another mutual friend of ours on the podcast here said the soil has a lot to do with it. Can you expand on that either, whether you agree with Sam or whether you have, you know, differing views, but you are a lot closer to the soil than I am and arguably Damo as well. So what have you observed on that space and, and how that impacts every single one of us that, that eats food on a daily basis? I think one of the uh, most important things is that how far away are we actually from eating produce that comes straight from the soil? That's one thing. So many people eat, they cook, they eat processed food um, and they're not cooking from fresh. So I think that's one of the first things. There's so much packaging and we don't know how much the packaging influences allergies as well. But when it comes to soils, one of the things that's really important is the soils are the source of nutrients for everything that we grow. And if we're artificially putting in nutrients and reinforcing the soil artificial ways, we're not allowing the microbes and all the microrhizomes and everything that grow in the soil to flourish. And then we don't get the same nutrition, I think, in food. Um, so, when many, many years ago, we used to have a huge diversity of foods, and today there's a huge range of food available, but the amount of plants that it comes from has narrowed tremendously. Uh, especially, you know, in overseas countries, there's a lot of GMO modification as well in some areas of food. And there's a lot of narrowing of hybrids of products that we eat too, so we don't get those heirloom varieties, that diversity of food. And if we're all eating from just a narrow band of foods, and particularly if they've been grown in very um, industrial ways rather than regenerative ways of farming, I think you can do regenerative farming on an industrial scale if you do it well, but that most industrial farming doesn't work that way. We've seen... Um... Answer your question? Sure does. Yeah, Correct. absolutely. Yeah, we've seen, uh, we've actually spoken to Alan Savory um, a number of times um, on another podcast that I do, um, that I used to do called The Wellness Guys, and Alan Savory talks about regenerative farming and, and regenerative land practice, and, and, and I love that whole approach, and obviously that's a sustainable um, approach to farming, which I think is really important, and if Australia can move in that direction, that'd be great. What are the sorts of things that you're doing for your soils? Obviously, I, I would assume that um, a lot of water will be used and, you know, to grow macadamias. Do you have to re-nourish the soil? Do you have to turn the soil? Do you have to put anything into it? Do you have cattle running through, you know, between the trees and, you know, doing poo? What, how, how, does, <laughs> how do you keep your plants looking so unbelievable and your macadamia nuts tasting so fresh? So, um one of the things, because we live in the northern rivers, then macadamia is native to the northern rivers, so we don't irrigate at all. Whatever falls from the sky is what waters our trees. Uh, one of the important things that we do is a couple of things that we do really carefully. One is to put back into the soil. So every th we create a big compost pad and we um, – Every year we prune the macadamia trees and we'll also bring in other compost as well and we just create this natural compost. We'll put in um, some organic chicken or beef manure in there as well and blend all that up. And then that compost goes under the trees as, as nutrition. 
in between the rows, one of the things that Martin's really working on at the moment is uh, building what we call insectaries. What we're trying to do is lift the level of bugs, the good bugs, the predator bugs that are in our orchard. So we create this great diversity of insect life nice. uh, in the orchard as well because the insect life above and below the ground um, and the microbes above and below the ground are equally important to the health of the plant. Mm. So I guess that's really the approach that we that we take. Mm. Um, and um, it's about uh, building those soils. Uh, we test the soils, but we build the soils with them um, by by adding natural things on. And so the compost is a, composting programs are really important part as are the insectaries. And because we don't use any Roundup anywhere on our farm, then that means the grass is left to grow and preserve the moisture that's with, there within the soils. Amazing. You're Amazing. a wealth of information, Pam, and it's it's a beautiful to listen uh, to you speak. I think um, we could we could talk to you for a couple of hours, but there's a couple of questions I'd really love to ask that I think on our podcast, Master in the Art of Aging Well, it's really um, – it would be it would be remiss of us not to ask you. You're almost well, a couple of years shy of seventy. You're a wise soul, and you've done some pretty courageous things in your time. Which um, personally, I know I have great respect for. One of them is career transition, and another one is is relocating um, your life. Now, would you be happy to share? Uh, again, we mentioned in the introduction, you're a dentist for over a couple of decades. Can you just share with the listeners that process of uh, knowing when it's time to shift gears. Damien's a chiropractor, a naturopath, and a nutritionist, so we, there's a number of shifting gears in Damo's career. I've done it myself as well, and I love talking to others that have gone, you know what, I know I'm, a, in your case, a dentist, but I am going to completely revolutionize my life. Can you take people through that process if you're happy to? Um, yeah, I can. I think um, it was so... I got to a stage in my career after 25 years that I'd achieved a lot in my career. I'd followed all the specialties that I wanted to, orthodontics, you know, crown and bridge, implants, uh, a whole range of things without becoming a specialist. And so the next thing was to either go and become very academic uh, and study more. Um but I grew up in a family that was in the was in clothing manufacture in the rag trade, and I'd always had a yen to um, to get into manufacturing, and we'd had this farm also for some time. And naively, we thought, well, let's start, let's go into the food business. Why not? <laughs> and so it was like, yeah, I've achieved everything that I want to. Martin, it was likewise the same in the film industry, and. We thought we could take the skills that we learned from those careers and apply them to a new career. So it wasn't so scary. We were confident that we had a lot of skills that we could transition from one career to another. And uh, I was just really keen for a change. I didn't leave because I was bored. I didn't leave because I didn't like it. I left because I wanted something else. I think that was there was something more exciting in the future for me and uh, for us that was that was the catalyst for the change that's a great, I love that. it's I a great love answer that. Isn't i think it? that's really nice mm. yeah you're wanting more that's, that's a good thing you're not running away from something you're not running with enthusiasm in the wrong direction either so that's uh, that's a really nice thing so 
Pam, I'm just thinking um, as we speak to people who are doing great things in their life, um, who have an infinite mindset, they have infinite thought, they play the infinite game, which I, I think that's what you do. Uh, I see that these people seem to age well and enjoy their life, um, which inspires me to age well and enjoy my life as well. And so I, I try to make decisions um, around that. What are the things that you do? What are the what are the practices that you incorporate that you think are helping you age well? And might I add, you look like you're aging beautifully. I have to say. <laughs> so, um, if uh, if I can pass that little comment to you, uh, without being offensive, I, I want to say that you look great. And so, if uh, you're aging well and you agree with me, what are you doing to to achieve that? Uh, look, first of all, is I guess there's a mindset. But one of the things that helps you achieve a um, mindset too is I think it's important to look after your health. It's important to look after your diet, to keep fit. That means oh, a bit of everything in moderation. You don't have to, you know, give up all these things, but you just have to have a, a balanced life. And I think keeping fit so that you can keep moving is a really important thing for people. It really helps your mind space and um, I know when I'm fit that my mental energy is much better and it's something that I saw in my parents. Um, they were, you know, really active in their 80s and my mother even in her early 90s. Um, but the other thing that I think is important is attitude to, to life is that um, there's never an age where you don't ask questions and you don't have an inquisitive mind. It's always... I think it's always important to be open to things you know some people they say you know as you get older you close your mind but I think that's not that's really not the way to go I think life is an adventure and you have to enjoy the ride of that adventure but always be open to new things along the way um, and I think if you get weighed down by fear or fear of growing old despair or that things are changing you know, you, you have to somehow shake that off and say, how do I look for the opportunity or the adventure, you know, even accepting whatever limitations that you have? Pam, I'm so glad you said this and it, it um, harks back to something that you said in a conversation that we were having earlier today and uh, I don't normally tell people this but, uh, Pam, I have this bad journalistic habit of writing down what people are telling me when I'm in conversation with them. So I was in front of my computer today and I was typing out word for word what you were telling me as I was researching for our uh, interview today and I've got down here uh, self-doubt and despair and lack of self-esteem are really things that aid you. And that's really what you were just referring to. I would love to know, um, and and if you don't think this applies, then then also let me know. But do you find that, you know, my my personal experience is that none of us are immune to this. We all have times of self doubt. There are times when we might feel despair. There are times when when our self esteem might feel like it's lacking. For someone that many people are going to put up on a pedestal and go, oh, look at Pam, she was a dentist for 25 years and now she lives the dream lifestyle in Byron and runs this wonderful company and you've got the, the best gin in the world and a great hand sanitizer in these times and a healthy family and grandkids. Everyone, A lot of people are going to go, oh, Pam, it's so good. But can you just enlighten listeners and viewers for how you navigate yourself through the challenges that I have no doubt because you're a human being also come up in your life? Oh, look, there's times when things can be really, uh, really flat. I've had times when, you know, I think 
the start of COVID was, you know, the classic the classic time. But there's been many times over the years where I think probably there's been depression along the way or just flat and just lacking that energy to do anything. Sometimes, sometimes when I'm, if I get like that, I just think, well, maybe I just have to let my body do what it's going to do for a while and not fight it, but go with it. But then also eyes on the prize that there has to be a way out of this. And that's an, an important thing. And then making myself go for walks, making myself connect with people is really important. I find friends around me and there's not a, just a close, you know, a group of close friends is, is really important. I think talking to others when you're like that and especially, you know, to my, to my better half, Martin, at times. But I have a very good friend, Betty, who now lives in the States and she and I can just talk for hours through ups and downs. And I think it's really important to reach out to people if you're going through those lows. It's also, I think, physical activity really helps, uh, just helps get that mindset going and um, somehow keeping keeping, keeping on keeping on is, uh, I don't know quite how, how to quite say that, but, um, yeah, life is, life is you have to t- to seize the day at times when there's opportunity some people say people are lucky i wouldn't call it luck it's just that sometimes you seize an opportunity or if you're talking with someone and and they uh offer you something that you want to get involved in then then just do it try it uh, even if it's just going out for a coffee or um just talking to them about some new something new uh i think it's it's really important to keep that outward look at times even when you're really in that low low mood yeah. you just have to keep going yeah great advice great advice My, our priest our parish priest when i was growing up used to always end the day in the seminar the sermon seminar <laughs> what it was <laughs> uh with keep on keeping on everybody and uh and i i love that saying it's a great mm-hmm. thing it's a great thing um a little shout out to betty Thanks for listening, Betty, all the way over in the United States. Hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast. There's 418 other podcasts that you can listen to as well. <laughs> uh, Pam, um, we're getting close to wrapping this up, but I'd love to find out your inspiration for writing the book. I'd like to know uh, why did you go and write a book on uh, on simple foods or foods that you can eat? And, you know, is it everything you wanted it to be? Well, I never actually set out to write a book. I, I went to get advice from a, a wonderful paediatric allergist called Valencia Suter and because we were going to put some macadamias in children's food because that was one of the recommendations was important to put food allergens in children's food in the first 12 months. Mm-hmm. And talking to her, I realised that all the buzz out there in the world was all about the scary stuff. It was all about food allergies, food intolerances, um, and all the things, you know, good foods, bad foods. And I realized that we weren't talking, that was a small percentage and we weren't talking about the big picture that 90% of the population lived with, which was the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to put that, to get that story out there that to help prevent food allergies, it's really important to follow the guidelines of introducing those common food allergens in the first 12 months, and you don't have to be brave to do it. 
you have to just make sure that you do it. It's so easy for the first 12 months of life to go past in a family and forget if the kid's at daycare or somewhere like that, you can completely forget to include the common foods like tree nuts and peanuts and things like that. And so she was the inspiration to start. And then Valencia died in uh, late 2019, which was very sad and she'd been really inspirational to me and I was very fortunate that uh, Anne Swain, the dietitian at the Royal Prince Alfred Allergy Unit, then stepped into Valencia's role of um, being a guide and support for me and making sure that uh, I was writing it the right way and it was um, that it was medically medically sound. And so she helped with that side. Then the fun part started when Sammy and Swanee and I started cooking together because that was like, well, it's all about let's put everything in. Let's not leave things out. It's not one of those cookbooks. And I have to say the publisher then did an amazing job with making it readable and making it so that it was easy for a young family to navigate. And so it would work as a book for young family but also as a family cookbook for everybody. In fact, I'm cooking a recipe Tonight, out of it, we're going to a friend's for dinner, and I thought, oh, need a nice, simple dessert that's not too sweet but delicious, so I'll do that. Let's well, so make that macadamias was... in it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's actually no macadamias in this one, oh. but I might grate a few on top now that you've said that. Good idea. They'd be missing out. <laughs> yeah. We have to know, Pam, your favourite recipe in the book? Oh, let's see. Uh, one of my favourite ones is a weekend breakfast. It's uh, sweet corn and macadamia fritters. Well played. And you serve it with a guacamole on the side and it's the perfect family breakfast on a weekend when everyone gets up late and lounges around in their pyjamas and, yeah, it's good. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm getting hungry, getting hungry now. I think really? it's really important to recognise that this book, We Can All Eat That, is a book for everyone. If you've got kids or grandkids, it's a great book to have, particularly if they have allergies. But it's not, you don't have to have, it's like eating well. You don't have to be sick to eat well. You don't have to have allergies to enjoy the book, We Can All Eat That. Anyone, anyone will benefit from We Can All Eat That. It's a great gift and it's a great book to have in your kitchen. Uh, it's available. We can all eat that.com. You can get it uh, through Hardy Grant or all of the big uh, stores wherever you like to buy your good books. Uh, Pam Brooke, you have been a joy to have on 100 Not Out. We thank you so much for your contribution. And as you said, to Swanee and Sammy, who is Sarah Swan and Sam Gowing, it is a really authentic Byron Bay publication by three of the leaders in health and wellness, three of the leading women in health and wellness in Byron Bay and Australia. So congratulations, Pam. And as we like to wish every single one of our guests on 100 Not Out, Pam Brooke, may the rest of your life continue to be the best of your life. Thank you so much, Marcus. Thank you, Damien. Take care. Thank you, Pam. Uh, Damo, as always, thank you for your wisdom on the podcast. Thank you, PC. Great questions. Great guest. Thanks for getting Pam on. That was terrific. It's an absolute pleasure. To find out more about Damo, head on over to DamienChristoph.com, myself, MarcusPierce.com.au. And until next week, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life. Bye for now. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.